Okay, today we're just continuing in this series that we've been in for those that are just kind of dropping in for Christmas, you know, Sunday morning. And of course, we're going to continue this until uh, Christmas Eve tomorrow night, and and we'll kind of wrap everything up. But you know, so far uh, we we could agree upon the fact that the story of love is huge. In fact, we began with talking about the context of Jesus' birth, and, and, and this is the evidence that God loves us, that it is a story of love, is that God comes to us, and that God becomes flesh, and he dwells among us, and we know that. And so we see this as this is God's reaching out, and he's, he's saying that I love you, I, I love my creation this much. And then we spoke about the theology of Jesus' birth, and we know this this kind of, you know, the, the pinnacle of this, and the ultimate response then is the atonement of Christ, the birth and the death, and of course the resurrection of Christ, and we experience the loving sacrificial atonement of Jesus Christ. And then on December 16th, man, the choir and the team and the tech guys and the musicians, they just knocked it out of the park, and they repeated the message over and over and over that nothing compares to the love of God. If you agree with me this morning and agree with that, say amen. That's right. Amen. It's the same as saying, oh, yeah, by the way. Okay. Uh, Oh, yeah. I believe that God's love. There's nothing that compares to the love of God. Well, today I want to talk about the reality of Jesus birth. And I say that because, you know, God created us. We're human beings and as human beings, you know, part of the reality is that sometimes it's difficult to follow Jesus. I mean, it's easy to think of Jesus that's in the manger and, and we brace the idea and it's so warm and it's so wonderful. But the reality is in life, why is it so difficult to follow Jesus? And we see this from the very beginning in the story of Joseph, his father or earthly father, the story of Joseph. And in fact, go to Matthew chapter one, looking at verse 18 and we're going to read through verse 25 together. So we go to Matthew chapter 1, looking at verse 18 down through 25, and we'll see some of the challenge that Joseph faces, at least socially, in, in the context of, of he being betrothed to Mary. And so let's begin there. Matthew chapter 1, looking at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So you can imagine the social pressure that was happening here because it was very traditional in that day that, that couples would be betrothed together. You know, they would not consummate the marriage or the ceremony would not take place for as long as a year. And so in the betrothal process, of course, they, they are committed to each other, even call each other husband and wife. And so you can imagine that there was some some tension. You can imagine the complexity of of, of what Joseph was facing when he encounters you know, the voice of God. In fact, let's read that together and then kind of expound on that. So we go to uh, go to verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Notice it says her husband was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, of course, which means 
God with us. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word today. I thank you for the reading of the word. And I, I, I trust, Lord, what you have promised, that it will not come back void, that there is, there is something, there is some kind of message There is some kind of encouragement. There is some kind of truth, Father, that you are giving to us this morning by reading the word, being reminded of this great story. And so, Father, I pray that you just anoint this this reading. And I pray that you'd speak to that one heart this morning that's here. And it's possible it might be a heart that has become kind of a stony heart. Or a heart that's kind of been parched, or maybe a heart that's just thirsting for something, some kind of relevance in life. And so, Father, I, I don't know why you've gathered us here this morning, but, but Father, I know that you want to do something. And so we, we pray, Lord, that you would just speak to that heart. And so we thank you for this word. We ask this in Jesus Christ's glorious name. And everyone said, Amen. Now, you can imagine, again, the social pressure Joseph was under. He wakes up in the morning, he has a very difficult decision, and, and part of it we need to understand that, you know, Joseph is, he's a human being, and, and, and it would be easy to read the passage here and just allow the story to kind of be flat on the page and, and say, okay, well, let's think of it in 3D as if we were in their shoes, but I challenge us to think of the story in 4D. Which means that we think of not only, you know, as if we are in Joseph's shoes, but we are thinking about it with all the emotion that's included in that and all the complexity that he's wrestling with in regards to being human and being a free agent himself. I mean, what happens? He sees this angel in a dream. He could have very easily woken up and said, oh, it was a dream. I ate some bad potatoes or something like that. I mean, he could have justified not taking it serious, but he wakes up and he, he's, he's seen the angel. The message has been delivered. He's heard the voice of God. And so now he's got to make some kind of decision. And I can imagine in my mind's eye and the complexity and the tension of, of the decision that Joseph had to make in regards to whether he's going to hear the voice of God or do what is socially acceptable and just quietly divorce he had to make some kind of decision. You see, it's, it's just like life, because sometimes it's difficult to follow Jesus in life. I mean, in actuality, when we say, OK, yeah, I believe in Christ and I want to be a Christian. But, you know, when we really act it out, it's a little bit more difficult than just saying. It. I mean, there are a lot of people who simply lack the resolve to genuinely follow Christ. I mean, they'd like to. They like the idea of Jesus, the baby, or the idea of being a Christian. But, man, do they really have what it takes to go all out? I mean, really to go all out and and say, I'm going to live my life for Jesus Christ. I mean, it's hard to find that motivation in this life and in this world that we live sometimes. And I think I've been surrounded by all kinds of people through the years as a pastor that have this idea that they like the idea of being a Christian but living it out is a whole different story because because when we get out there in the world and and we are trying to live Christianly and to stand alone on our own two feet and to continue to live a life that is worthy to be called Christian and to do it all alone, it's hard if there's nobody there beside us standing you saying you can do this or nobody whispering in our ear, come on, you can you can make this happen. You can you can really do this. And so what happens is oftentimes out there in the world, I mean, after we recognize Jesus at Christmas time, we say, oh, yeah, that's God. And then the new year starts and we begin to have to live life out and we have to, you know, deal with the, the reality of what it means to live Christianly. We sometimes become parched and we just kind of, you know, kind of 
fizzle out or we just kind of dry up because it's difficult. Sometimes it's hard to live a life for Christ. I understand that. It's difficult to follow Christ and, and to actually follow Jesus. You know, it, it, it takes some determination there. There is great irony in the Christian life because following light or following Jesus ushers you into a life that is simultaneously not only the most joyful experience that you'll ever have on earth following Christ, but at the same time, it can be the most difficult thing that you've ever experienced in life. Does anybody agree with me about that? That yet, simultaneously, it's such joy to follow Jesus Christ, but at the same time, it can be so difficult trying to follow Jesus Christ. In fact, the scripture kind of refers to that. We go to John chapter 10, looking at verse 10, and on the upside, it says, tell us, it tells us that Jesus gives us life and that life more abundantly. Remember that? That life more abundantly. And then Psalm 1611, it says that in God's presence, in God's presence, there is joy, there is the fullness of joy. And then in Psalm 84.10 we read, it tells us that it's, it's better one day in the house of God or in the presence of God than 10,000 elsewhere. And so, I mean, this is pretty up, you know. I mean, this is kind of the top of the spiritual experience because there's abundant joy in Jesus Christ. But then on the other end of it, on the other end of the scale, in Matthew chapter 16, it tells us that if we're going to follow Jesus, we must take up our cross and follow him. Now, I I don't know about you or what kind of image that a cross drums up in your mind. But, man, this is the cross of the first century. This is the cross of ancient times. And the cross of ancient times, it, it represented you know, oppression and torture and death. And, and it caused horror in people's minds when they'd see the cross. You can imagine people as they're going along a Roman road and they're seeing people hanging from the cross or even being hung upside down on the cross. And so you can imagine the torture and the oppression and, and, and the reality of what the cross represented. I, I was at In Common last Sunday. I preached at our Sunday night service. And our Sunday night service is geared to young individuals, young adults. And, and during the service last Sunday, they had what they called spoken word. Anybody heard of that? Spoken word. They had this thing called spoken word. And so a couple of the young people got up and they expressed their emotions in word. And as they got up and they expressed their emotions in word, and this is a positive, not being negative, but they expressed their emotions in word and they... They, they talked about, you know, life was hard and they talked about how dark life was and how dismal it was. And it felt like laying in the surf and drowning. And sometimes life is so bleak like that. And then the next young person got up and they shared something like that. And I'm going, whoo, boy, how am I going to follow that? Because you see, last Sunday was the third Sunday of the Advent series and it was about joy. And I was getting ready to stand up and talk about joy, you know, and the abundant joy that we have in the Lord. But yet here I was hearing about, you know, how dismal, how dark life was. But then all of a sudden it seemed like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he just gave me this beautiful backdrop. That the reality of life is sometimes dark. It is sometimes dismal. And sometimes it feels like that we are drowning and we are being overwhelmed by the difficulties of life. But in the midst of that, in the midst of the darkness of this world and the challenges that we face, hallelujah, there is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And I I, I began to reflect upon that and I thought, wow. And that's important when we think about, you know, the symbol of, uh, of the cross, especially in the first century. Because again, in the first century, the cross was not, you know, something popular. It was not a... 
a diamond-studded pendant that people wore around their neck. It was not, you know, cross gold crosses that they hang from their ears. You see, the good, nice people of the first century did not get crosses tattooed on their arms. Because the cross was a symbol of horror and oppression. I mean, you know, the, the, the silliness of it is, is, could be demonstrated like if I came to your house one day and I noticed as I come into the dining room you had a hangman's noose hanging over the table. <laughs> you see, I wouldn't get warm feelings about that. Or maybe I go into the living room and above the couch you have a picture of a firing squad. That wouldn't give me warm feelings. Because it's the image of it is it's dark and and here is Jesus, you know here's Jesus talking about us taking up our cross. In fact, you know this is this is why Paul says in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Think of that for a minute. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. You see, it's like a seed. That is to be fruitful. It first dies. The seed have to, it has to die. And then it germinates, of course, and then sprouts and, and it begins to produce fruit. But first, the seed dies before it can germinate. And possibly, this is why following Christ is difficult. I mean, the question is, why is it difficult to follow Christ? We begin with such a warm, wonderful memory of Jesus in the manger at Christmas time. But then when life hits us, and reality hits us, it becomes so very difficult. And, and maybe this is why it is, because self must die with every difficult decision that faith requires of us. And this begins with the story of Joseph. Because Joseph could have done what was socially acceptable and just quietly, you know, divorced her and went his own way. But what happens instead, he hears the voice of God. He responds to the the image of the angel in his dream and he's obedient to God. And so there's the tension that's the reality, but then there is his obedience. And we see that. We see it again in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus Christ is getting ready to go to the cross. And in the garden, what happens? Remember the tension there in his life. Jesus himself, he says, oh, Father, if possible, please take this cup from me. I mean, it was difficult even for Jesus. And then remember Peter standing by the fire, warming himself. And he was asked, you know, are you part of the way? Are you part of this, this Jesus group? And, and what's Peter do? What does he do? He, he denies Christ. In fact, he denies him three times. But praise the Lord, later on he repents and God builds his church upon that rock. And so that means there's hope for all of us. Did you hear that? There's hope for all of us. It's difficult to follow Jesus because denying oneself is so counterintuitive and so unnatural to the order of things in this world. Because in the order of this world, the world is saying it's you, it's all about you, it's me first, it's about power and independence. That's what the world says it's about. But you see, Jesus, he says it's about not about you. He says it's about others. And he believes it so much that he gives his life and he dies on the cross to show us what it is about. So that that the focus is upon, you know, giving ourselves to others and, and, and upon Jesus Christ. You see, the temptation is so real at Christmas time to get our focus off of Christ 
and to get our focus on things that really have no bearing on what Christmas is about. In fact, I'm wondering, would you be willing, just a, a few verbal responses, what are the things that tempt us to get our eyes off of Christ? Just anybody at all, out loud. What are the things that tempt us to not focus on Christ at Christmas? Just no wrong answers. Somebody say something out loud. Say that again. Money. We can tend to focus on money. What else? Money or the lack of money. Politics, that's possible. That could distract us from the real reason of Christ. Somebody else, somebody over here, what is a temptation that we get our minds focused on instead of Christ at Christmas time? Gifts. gifts. We could focus more on gifts. Somebody else, what else? Say, say that again out loud. Football. football, yes, or doing. Or football, yeah, we could get our minds focused on football. You know, in reality, there's a little phrase in verse 20 in our text this morning. It's just a little phrase that that the angel says to Joseph. And he says this to Joseph. The angel speaks to Joseph and says this. In regards to this reality that, that his wife is with child from God. And the angel says to Joseph, be not afraid. Be not afraid. Be not afraid to go with this. Be not afraid to risk it all. Be not afraid to lift up the plan of God and to lift up Jesus Christ. Be not afraid. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the challenge for us this morning, that at Christmas time, be not afraid to give it all to Jesus Christ and to focus on Christ. I, I praise the Lord that I, I, had a, I had a good family that I was raised in, my mom and dad. And, and uh, at Christmas time, we, we did something, and, and I praise the Lord that I had a kind of family that said, this is what Christmas is about. I mean, they didn't, um, you know, discourage me from having, you know, the holiday fun and cheer and, you know, all the, the things that went with Christmas. But before we engaged in anything else, Dad would make us sit there in the living room, and he'd open this Bible, this Bible I'm holding. I don't normally preach out of this Bible. You guys know that, right? <laughs> It's a big family Bible. I thought, I'm going to bring my family Bible this morning. And I'm going to read this story. Because this is what it's about. And we want to make sure our Christmas is focused on that. I want to read the birth of Christ for you. Mary spent three months with Elizabeth, staying until the birth of her cousin's son. Then she returned to Nazareth and was given in marriage to Joseph the carpenter. But when they had been wed for some months... There came disturbing news. The Romans had passed a new law. Every man, woman, and child must go to the town of their family origin, and they're registered to be taxed. Since both Mary and Joseph were of the house of David, they must make the long journey in the colder weather to Bethlehem, 70 miles down the trail through the highlands. But what made the news particularly disquieting was the fact that Mary was great with child. The babe, the son of the Heavenly Father, was about to be born, what should they do? There seemed little that could be done but obey the order of the Roman masters. It might even be the will of God that this child, to be named Christ, the anointed one, was to start his early life in the city of David. So Joseph set his wife upon the back of a patient donkey, and off they started on the long three-day trip. 
The trail was filled with people hurrying along on similar journeys. And although Joseph hurried in his own footsteps and prodded the unwilling donkey into its best speed, it was dark the final day when the little party came to Bethlehem. Its large con or, or stopping place was fairly teeming with visitors. There seemed to be no room for another man or beast in the whole place. But the innkeeper, harassed with caring for his many guests, read the deep concern in the face of the tired man, saw the even deeper anxiety on the woman's face. Her need was great and becoming more and more immediate. Could they do with a place in the rear stable where it was hollowed from a rocky cliff? He asked, it would be warm and snug with plenty of clean straw. Not only must they be satisfied, but seemingly it was all the will of God. His son was to come to earth without fanfare and under the most unpretentious circumstances and surroundings. He is to be born to self-denial as a pattern for all who would through the ages call themselves his followers. And so it was that the Christ child, God's only son, was born in Bethlehem of Judea. No story is better known, for it is reread in church and home each Christmas tide. But as often as we hear this marvelous tale of the Savior's birth, let us remember the spirit of humility it proposes to teach us. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for becoming flesh. Thank you, God, for first loving us. Thank you, Father, for, Lord, the encouragement that we have that even when it is difficult and even when it is hard, Father, that, that we would remember the Christmas story throughout our, our new year and beyond. And that, Father in heaven, that we would live a life that's worthy to be called Christian. So, Father, I pray for that one this morning that's been challenged or maybe they've been struggling with something in their life spiritually. That, Father, that you just bring that struggle to an end for them. I, and maybe it might be a struggle of will. And so, Father in heaven, we just bring our will to you today, and we submit it to you, Father. We worship you, God. We thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for loving us, Jesus. Thank you for being born. And thank you for your sacrifice. And so, Father, we pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. Amen.